Welcome to church, everybody. So good to see all of you. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Would you kindly join me in standing to your feet as we go before the Lord and we read a little portion of scripture and prepare our hearts for our candle lighting portion of the service. Father, we thank you so much for everything that this season represents. Lord, we stand in awe of how much you love each and every one of us, that you literally left your throne in heaven to come to earth and save us. We open our hearts now to hear from you, and I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to everybody's heart today that is here, everybody that is watching on television, one of our campuses or online, but most of all, that you speak to the hearts of people who are both near to you and far from you, that today when they leave here, they'll know Jesus in a deeper way. We pray all this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and everybody said... Amen. Welcome again. Would you just kindly remain standing? Um, we're going to go to John chapter number eight. If you have your Bible, John chapter number eight, one small verse of scripture. If you need a Bible, by the way, the ushers will get it to you. John eight, verse number 12 says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Today, as we continue in our series, The Christmas Story, like you never heard it before, I want to talk to you from the subject, the light of the world. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word right now. Let it go forth with power and might and accomplish what you please for it to do in every life and every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, this week, uh, my wife and I, by the way, my wife's birthday was yesterday, so let's give a great big happy birthday. To the first lady of the house, my wife, we love her, and I told her she looks like she's still 25. That's the truth. She really does. Anyway, this week, her and I decided that we were going to take a ride about an hour away to go see some Christmas lights, because everybody loves to do that around Christmas time, right? Go see some some Christmas lights, and she said she had researched it on the internet, and it was a website and everything like that, and so we drive an hour, and we're driving through a subdivision. And we get to this person's house, and there's a big sign outside the person's house, and it says, tune your radio into 80, 87.9 FM. And it's a house. It's not a drive through It's just a person's house. And it's not even a greatly lit house. I mean, it was nice, but it wasn't like worth an hour drive. So we were really bummed out, disappointed. She says, there's another place. It's about 25 minutes from here, but I didn't choose it because I didn't know if we wanted to drive an hour and a half to go see lights. And I said, well, we made it this far. We might as well go the extra half an hour. So we get to this place, and this place is indeed a drive through We see the cars lining up on the streets, and so we're getting kind of excited about this and you got to tune your radio into another station and, and and we start going through and all of a sudden the best way that I could describe it it was like a junkyard of lights it's like somebody like just just backed up their dump dump truck and dumped off all of these you know lawn things and so on and so forth and half of them were lit and half of them were broken and and trees were like you know only half lit but we were stuck in the middle of the drive through it what should have taken about like three minutes took us like a half an hour to drive through and then I won't tell you the rest of the night how that went because then we went to this restaurant we were going to have some mafungo and we were all excited about having some Puerto Rican mafungo and when we get there they were like yeah we close in 20 minutes and so you really can't eat the food here. And we were like, man, the whole, but we drove an hour and a half from place to place going to see lights. And we all know living close to Manhattan, right? Everybody loves to go into Rockefeller Center and see the lit, the lit tree at Christmas time. And there's something about the lights that mesmerizes us. 
And I'm just wondering if it's, if it's more than tradition, if it's more than the holiday season, or if it's God's not so subtle way of baking the Christmas story into our culture. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And I want to tell you three things that the light represents and what we celebrate that during the Christmas season. The first thing is the light represents the incarnation. In the Gospel of John, we are told that the light that came to the world over 2,000 years ago and appeared in a ba- as a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes was none other than God manifest in the flesh. John begins his Gospel by calling him the Word. Listen to it. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And this is a direct reference to the very first uh, verses of scripture in the Bible where God spoke the worlds into existence by his word. And just so we know that that's what John is talking about, he goes on, he says that in verse number three, all things were made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. And after he describes him as the word that created the worlds, listen to the next verse. He says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John's point is to let us know that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is also the creator and sustainer of life. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. The incarnation when God, who has always existed, changed forms and became one of us when he clothed himself in humanity when perfection became a pedestrian when the spirit put on flesh and blood when God moved from a supernatural throne in heaven to a place where shepherds lay their sheep in a stable that the immortal invisible God became visible and John said so we could behold his glory and the message is don't miss the moment don't miss the incarnation don't miss it in all of the hustle and bustle of Christmas time because it could be easy to miss in the caroling and the and the cookies in, in, in you know the going and coming and the shopping and the spending and all of the hustle and bustle when we see all these lights we could just think well they're beautiful they're nice let's drive an hour and go see lights and miss what the light represents that God the light of the world God became one of us the incarnation of Christ. Matter of fact, I think that the traditions can sometimes steal the meaning of Christmas. I love all the traditions. I love everything that we're going to do. We're going to go home later and we're Italian. So we have seven fish every, you know, Christmas Eve and it's going to be great. And we love all of those kind of things. But I think one of the ploys of the enemy is to get us caught up in the hustle and bustle so that we miss the message of the moment and the miracle of what the light represents, the incarnation of Christ. Matter of fact, I think the enemy tried to play this ploy on Mary and Joseph. I mean, think about Christmas from their perspective. They both get these angelic visitations, right? Separately from one another. Mary gets it first and she's told that she's going to birth the Messiah and then Joseph doesn't believe it. And so then the angel appears to him and sure enough, they get on the same page and they both realize she's pregnant with the Messiah and they embrace it. And then they go on a trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? 90 miles, takes them about 10 days to get there. When they get there, everybody's already arrived so there's no room for them in the inn. So they got to go into the stable. 
And I could just picture in my heart Joseph kind of scurrying around. You know, trying to, you know, getting a pitchfork and grabbing some hay and some straw and trying to make a place for his bride to have a bed to stay in. She's great with child. Probably tears in his eyes because this was the best that he could do. And all of a sudden as Joseph is kind of scurrying to get things prepared, the pain is reaching a crescendo with every passing contraction. All of a sudden Mary utters a sharp gasp when Joseph sees her water break underneath her. Squatting Mary utters this fierce cry as the Son of God comes out bathed in water and in blood, just like he left the earth on the cross when they stuck a spear in him, out came water and blood, blood sagging to her knees. Mary lifts him against her chest, welcoming him into the world with soft, joyous tears. He cries in the cold night air, and Mary works quickly, probably taking the yarn that she had brought with him to cut off and tie off the cord before she cuts it. And then wrapping him in those linen strips that shepherds use to keep those baby lamb. All of a sudden she looks at him and she's puzzled. He looks like any other baby. There's no Shekinah glory on him, no majesty, ten fingers, ten toes, a thick black a patch of hair, little skinny legs, a wizened face of a newborn that just had been in water for nine months. Jesus, she whispers, my precious Jesus. She's filled with emotion. She holds in her hands the hope of Israel, the anointed one, the son of God, the savior of the world. But since he was so ordinary, you got to wonder, did the demons of doubt attack her mind? And what about the demons of doubt that may have attacked Joseph's mind? God, this isn't the way I planned it. My child being born in a stable, a cave with sheep and donkeys and hay and straw, my wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain. This isn't what I imagined, God. I imagined family and friends and grandmothers and neighbors and everybody cloistered outside of the house waiting to hear that first cry. And then when the baby was born, I imagined a symphony of angels, a a whole bunch of angels just coming around and singing, my Redeemer lives. God, I imagined a Shekinah glory proving to the world that this was indeed their savior and their king. But now, God, who will celebrate with us? The sheep, the shepherds, the stars. This doesn't seem right. Did I miss something, God? When you sent the angel to speak to me, he did say savior, didn't he, God? I envisioned Jerusalem and the temple and the priest and the people gathering around to watch a pageant. Perhaps, after all, this is the Messiah. Forgive me for asking, God. But is this how... The Savior enters the world. The coming of the angel. I accepted the questions about the pregnancy. We tolerated the trip to Bethlehem. Fine, but but now birth in a stable, God? God, you did say Savior, didn't you? This is what Mary believes, and and, and this is what the angel said. But God, but I want to believe it, but, but I'm just not sure, God. Is this really him? To be sure, the, the scripture never says that they struggled with these doubt demons, but it's human to wonder when you see an ordinary child whether or not this is the savior of the world. And as you look through the Christmas story, you see that, that God sent some, some faith fighters, some, some faith builders to fight the doubt demons that Satan probably sent their way. And the first faith fighter that came into the story were the shepherds. And you remember those shepherds, right? 
They were temple shepherds. They were in charge with, you know, watching over the sheep that would be sacrificed during the Passover to make atonement for the sins of the people. And it was to these shepherds that God first appeared through an angel and told them to go to the stable and they'll find there a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Could you imagine? As the doubt is reaching an all-time high, in walk the shepherds. Uh, excuse me. Was a baby just born here? Can we see him? Oh, that's him. An angel sent us here. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. But we were told that we would find the savior of the world here. And so God sends these faith fighters to battle these doubt demons that come into their life and assure them not to miss the miracle of the moment that this is indeed God in the flesh. This is God incarnate. And just in case the the doubt demons didn't give up so easily, if you read through the rest of the Christmas story, God keeps sending faith fighters their way. One in the name of a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon was a prophet. Matter of fact, we read about him in Luke chapter 2. Listen to what it says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law to dedicate him, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, because my eyes have seen the salvation of God, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now listen to what he says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which had been spoken of him. Simeon was the son of the most famous rabbi to have ever lived, Rabbi Hillel. He was the most prominent uh, rabbinical figure of his time. And Simeon took over for him and literally became the lead theologian of all of Israel. He was the one to whom they all looked to. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. And everyone knew that Simeon had this great gift of prophecy. And Simeon noised about that he would never again see death unless he saw the Savior of the world. And everybody knew that this is what Simeon said. So here are Mary and Joseph. The doubt demons are fighting them. They bring their child to the temple in order to dedicate him to the Lord. And here's Simeon, who they know said he won't see death until the Messiah comes. And Simeon takes the baby. And he blesses the baby and he confirms to them that this is indeed the savior of the world. So much so were they in shock that it says they marveled. How can this thing be so? These faith fighters that God sent to battle the doubt demons. And doesn't God do that for us? Because so much, so many times in our lives, we get caught up in the, the doubt demons and the hustle and bustle of Christmas. They, they, they steer us away from the story. And from the truth and for what it really means. And I'm just wondering if God hasn't baked in our love for the lights. It would be like God. Let's let everybody fall in love with lights over Christmas time. Let's let the heathen put up lights. Let's let, let's let the malls put up lights. Let's let cities light up. Let's let, let's let Christians and non-Christians all put up lights so that the whole world will know the light of the world has come that Jesus Christ left heaven and came on a mission to save our souls. 
Think about the Christmas story. First John tells us in his gospel that the light came into the world and was God. The shepherds confirmed that that light indeed was God. The prophet Simeon confirms again that light was indeed God. And then Jesus himself on multiple occasions said before he left this earth, I'm the light of the world. In John 8, verse number 12, our opening text, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus says this, standing in the middle of the temple on what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Lights. And this was a time every year where the Jewish people would remember how God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And you remember that story, don't you? God led them by a pillar of fire. And they understood that that pillar of fire was the literal presence of God dwelling with their people, leading them from captivity into freedom. And so every year when they celebrated this, they would get out these big honking candelabras and everybody would put out these big giant candelabras and the temple would be filled with these big candelabras. And so Jesus walks into the temple during this festival of lights. I envision probably pointed at one of those lights and said, I'm the light of the world. And everybody there knew what he was saying. That what he was saying was, I'm that same God that led you from Egypt in the promised land. I'm the eternal one, but I've showed up in the flesh because I didn't want any one of you to be separated from me for all of eternity. And so Jesus was declaring that he is the light of the world. Don't miss the message of the lights. I'll just look around and say, oh, that's beautiful and not so nice. Say, that represents Jesus. That represents the incarnation of Christ. But the second thing that the lights represent is man's separation. You see, light exposes. You know, um, I hate HD cameras. Because if you get a picture with an HD camera, you can see every single blemish, right? And every time I do TV and stuff like that, they want to put, can we put makeup on you here. I said, you can't mess with perfection. Leave it alone. Just, just let it be the way it is. It, it exposes everything, all the blemishes, all the imperfections. Remember the shepherds in the Christmas story? Listen to what it says about them. Now, there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, why would they be greatly afraid? Well, first of all, if an angel shows up, you're going to be scared too, I promise you. Like It's not going to be like, oh, cool, it's waiting on you. You're going to be like, whoa, what's going on right here? But here's the reason why they were so afraid. Because they brought with them the light of God's glory. And whenever the light of God's glory, a holy God, comes into contact with sinful man and all of our imperfections are right out in the open, we all of a sudden realize how far from God we really are. Nothing is hitting everything that we, we've done, everything that we know isn't right. All of a sudden gets exposed. Isaiah had a vision of God in the Old Testament. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm undone. And then he goes on, he said, cause, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. In other words, the light of God's glory exposed man's separation from God. And so the shepherds, when they saw the light, they were afraid because they knew you can't hide on God. You know, you confront on people, 
You know, you come into church on the weekend acting all pious and self-righteous and like you all that in a bag of chips and, you know, you live for God all the time and never mess up and, you know, people ask you how you're doing. I'm doing great. Bless coming. Bless going. All these Christian colloquialisms that we have. But when God shows up, you can't hide because God knows everything about us. And so the shepherds saw afraid. But then here's the third and final thing I want you to see. And it's the best part of the story. The light represents God's reconciliation. Notice what happens. The next verse says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Good tidings of great joy. In the original language it says, The best news ever that comes with gargantuan joy. The greatest joy that you can ever have. Now, what is gargantuan joy to somebody whose sin has just been exposed? Somebody who stands before a holy God and knows, I can't hide. And who knows that the standard that that holy God has for eternal life and eternal connection with him in a place called heaven is absolute perfection and that the penalty for sin is separation from him for all of eternity. What is great news to somebody who realizes, oh, God sees everything that I am. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. The best news ever that anyone could ever hear, the great news that comes with gargantuan joy is a savior. What's a, what's a savior? Somebody to save me from my sin. Somebody that can stop me from having to pay the price for the sin that has been exposed under the light of God. And so all of a sudden, they realize, this is good news. It's not something to be afraid of. And they get excited. They go to look for the Savior. Now, Jesus, a second time, lets us know why this is the greatest news and that he is the light of the world. And it's found in John chapter 10. Here's what it says. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were gathered around him were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now watch what Jesus was doing. What is the festival of dedication, a.k.a. the festival of Maccabees or Hanukkah? In 165 BC, the Jewish people lived underneath the rule of Greco-Syrian kings, and specifically the kings of Damascus. And one king, King Antiochus IV, was a wicked king. And what he did is he took over the temple that was in Jerusalem, and he defiled the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar and then taking the blood of that pig and pouring the blood on the holy scrolls. And he forbade the Jewish people that they could worship their God, God Jehovah, or do what they were customary, accustomed to doing in the temple. And in the temple, he set up pagan worship and he demanded that the Jewish people fall down and worship his pagan gods. Well, there was a group of four brothers called the Maccabees and they decided we had enough of this and they gathered together a bunch of freedom fighters and these freedom fighters stood up against this wicked king and one of the brothers, his name was Judas Maccabeus and it took them three years but they finally overthrew that king and they took back the temple and as soon as they took back the temple, the first thing they did was they went into the temple to light what was known as the eternal flame of God 
And this was a flame in the temple that was always supposed to be lit to signify that the presence of God was with his people. The problem was there was only oil enough to light that flame for one day. And it would take eight more days in order to purify the oil so they could use it in the temple again. But he stepped out in faith and he lit that candle. And miraculously, that candle was sustained until the purified oil came back. And that's why when you look at Hanukkah and the menorah, you have eight candles. That's what it symbolizes, the eternal flame of God. Now, what does Jesus do on the day in which they celebrate this? The festival, right, that they're having of Hanukkah or the festival of Maccabees, or as the Bible says, the festival of dedication. He walks into the temple and watch what he does. He goes out on Solomon's colonnade. Well, what is Solomon's colonnade? Well, it was a porch that was Solomon built that was attached to the temple. And the historian Josephus tells us that it survived all the way up until the time of Jesus. And it was this huge porch that kind of overstood the whole valley that the temple was built on because it was this great wall that was about 800 feet high and the, and the porch was built on that. And this is where Solomon, when he ruled, would make all of his judgments from. And so Jesus goes out onto this porch. Why? What is he saying? I'm the judge of the world. And here I am ready to issue my judgment over all of the people. Now, some people would shake at that because if God judges us based on what we deserve, we're gone. But here's the good news. Here's why the light represents God's reconciliation. Because God didn't judge the world's sin like man would expect their sin to be judged. Here's what God did. God judged the world's sin by putting the condemnation on himself so that you and I could be set free. And so Jesus stood on that colonnade on Solomon's porch, and here's what he said. I've come to judge sin, but guess what? I'm not going to punish you for it. I'm going to punish me for it so that you can have eternal life. And this was what Jesus was, the light of the world who came to reconcile you and I to Christ. And so every year, when we come and we celebrate, we celebrate what this light means. The light is the incarnation. The light is man's separation. And the light is God's reconciliation. That's what Christmas is. That God loved us so much that he wouldn't allow us to stay in our sin, but that he would come and judge sin in himself so that we could have eternal life. Would you stand to your feet?